0: Can you, th- can you think of a time when you got some really bad news? Not just bad news, but a real shock to the system. Maybe someone you love who is young and healthy, dies tragically in a car accident, or your spouse, their biopsy comes back, stage four cancer, or just another school shooting. The kind of news that makes you just want to shout, no, 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 no! This shouldn't be happening! In this passage, Jesus has to break this kind of news to his disciples. And today, before we get into interpreting the passage or applying it to our lives, I'm going to invite us to enter into the story. So often we read the Bible as a textbook or a science book or Morality 101 what is right, what is wrong. Who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy in the passage? But when God gave us his holy scriptures, he gave us a story. And sometimes we have to step into the story to make sense of it. We have to enter in and imagine what Peter is feeling and even imagine what Jesus is feeling. And I think as we do that, we'll be able to grasp better what's going on here. And what is the heart of Jesus towards Peter? And what is Jesus' heart towards us? So let's do a brief recap of today's passage. Jesus tells the disciples, I have to be tortured to death, and on the Thursday, I'll be raised from the dead. Oh, and by the way, the religious, the religious elite, the high priests, the ones who are supposed to represent God, are the ones who are going to betray me and make this all happen. Peter's reaction is, What? Lord, no way. This can never happen to you. And then Jesus calls Peter Satan. Okay, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. But what's going on here? Well, if we're reading the passage looking for who is right, who is wrong, God's plan versus our plan, it seems pretty straightforward. The cross is God's plan of salvation to save the world from sin. This is the reason Jesus came, and Peter is trying to talk him out of it. So Peter is the vessel of Satan at that moment. And this isn't totally incorrect, but all of the things I just said, no one knew when this story was unfolding in real time. No one had ever heard of the cross, No one had ever heard that the Messiah was going to be tortured to death. When Jesus breaks this news, it is a total bombshell. We should be feeling shockwaves coming off of this passage. Like, what? So there are two things we tend to take for granted as 21st century believers. And that's one, we are so used to thinking of Jesus as the Son of God. And number two, we are so used to the idea of the cross we preach about it every sunday but let me tell you two things that were not at all obvious to faithful jews in the first century that the messiah was going to also be the son of god and that the messiah was going to be tortured to death that was not obvious to them there are hints there are isaiah 53 psalm 22 but it's very poetic it's very mysterious it's not this cut and dry, Jesus telling him this is what's going to happen. And in Matthew, both of these things are being revealed to the disciples at Caesarea Philippi in this moment, in this conversation. As we heard about last week, Jesus finally breaks his silence and reveals that yes, he is the Messiah and the Son of God. This would have been great news. They would have been ecstatic. They would have been like, I knew it. I was right. He's the one. And how lucky are we? We were chosen by Messiah out of all the people in Israel. And right then, right in the middle of this celebration, Jesus drops this bomb. He breaks the rest of the news to them that he must suffer and be be betrayed by the religious authorities and he must die. Talk about whiplash. Talk about an emotional roller coaster. So I know this is by no means a perfect analogy. If you want to start getting the clip ready, but don't roll yet. Um, I know this is not by any means a perfect analogy, but I was trying to think what can help us kind of understand the emotional thing that's going on here. So, um, oh, it's very dark. Sorry, I'm still... Let's just be in the dark for a minute. Um, so I want to show you this, um, this clip from Avengers with Tony Stark and Pepper. So just first let me explain. Um, Tony and Pepper are married, and Tony has just blasted up into an alien spaceship from New York to fight evil aliens again. And this is after Tony already promised her, I'm not going to save the world again. All right, so roll the clip. Boss incoming call from Miss Potts. Tony? Oh my god, are you alright? What's going on? Yeah, I'm fine. I just think uh, we might have to push our 830 res. Why? Just cause I'll probably not make it back for a while. Tony, you're not on that ship. Yeah. God, no, please tell me. I'm Honey, on the ship. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't know what to say. Come back I here, should... Tony. I swear to God. Pat... Come back here right now. Come back. Boss, we're losing her. I'm going to. Okay, so I know, um, I know this is a clip about a romantic relationship, but bear with me. When Tony gets this call from Pepper, we see the pain in his face. He doesn't want to hurt her. He doesn't want to disappoint her. And he knows that he may never see her again. And I'm showing this because I think when we're watching this clip, we don't judge Tony or Pepper. We... Um, We're watching the story, we're in the story, and both of them make total sense to us. We aren't like, oh, that is so selfish of Pepper. Doesn't she know that her husband has to save the world? No, we don't react that way. So I want us to imagine Peter a little bit differently this morning with this tone of voice, kind of like Pepper. Tell me you're not doing this. Tell me you're not on that ship. Get back here right now. Yes, she is rebuking him, but the way that all of us would when our loved one's marching into danger. And just for a second, we see Tony flinches. Obviously, there's a part of him that wants to choose her happiness and his happiness and their good. And instead, he has to set his face like Flint and make the decision to choose the greater good over their good. This is not a perfect analogy because, you know, Tony Stark is arrogant. This is not Jesus. Um, But what if we imagine the passage a little differently today? A more similar dynamic to this with um, Peter and Jesus. Pepper begging Tony, don't go through with this. Come back to me. Come back home. She just wants him to be with her. And Tony feels that pull of human love. But he chooses, he makes the choice for sacrifice. He chooses to set his face and go straight into danger to try to save the world. So let's enter into our gospel reading today, and I want to ask three questions. Why does Jesus react the way that he does? Why does Jesus respond the way that he does? And how will we respond to a crucified Lord? So let's look at verses 22 and 23. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned back to him and he said, get behind me, Satan, you are a stumbling block to me. One reason we know that Peter reacts this way is because it doesn't make any sense. Peter is the one who just proclaimed, you are the Christ, the Son of God. Peter knows that Jesus is Messiah. But Peter does not understand what kind of Messiah Jesus is going to be. And I would say there was probably no way that Peter could have known. This doesn't fit the pattern. This doesn't fit the pattern of the stories that he's heard from Torah his whole life. The stories of God's great rescues from the past. Moses, Samson, King David. God rescued his people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. That means God kicked butt. God kicked Pharaoh's butt. God delivers his people from real-world oppression time and again, usually through violence. Yes, there was suffering. Yes, there was waiting. But when God shows up, he kicked butt. That was the precedent. That was what God had done for them. How could they know? How could they know that this time, deliverance would come through weakness? How could they know that the son of David would willingly die without a fight instead of being a victorious man of blood like David? How could they know? It was totally outside the scope of anything God had ever done before. Paul says this mystery was kept hidden for ages, but is now revealed. The mystery of God's plan of salvation through the cross. And this moment in the Gospel of Matthew is the first time Jesus does his big reveal for his plan of salvation. And Peter's gut level, his heart level reaction to the idea of the Son of God and his best friend being murdered is, No, no, no! And we can understand that because that's the response of love. Remember, they had a close human relationship. Jesus is his rabbi, his mentor, his best friend. If we put ourselves in his shoe and imagine the people we feel most attached to, most devoted to, and they come to you and say, evil people are going to torture me to death. What is your reaction? I know what my reaction is. I don't think so absolutely not, over my dead body. Peter is reacting this way not because he's evil, but because he's righteous. What? Yes, because he loves goodness and he's repulsed by evil. Peter's moral compass is going off. Nope, 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 this just feels wrong. My best friend being tortured, wrong. Tortured to death, wrong. This happening to the Son of God? Wrong. The religious leaders doing that? That's really wrong. So imagine this scene. Jesus is standing before Peter, fully God and fully man, telling him that he has to die. On one hand, he is the author of creation. He is the one who programmed the human heart to feel exactly what Peter is feeling. When somebody's loved one is tortured and killed by corrupt government or sick, twisted individuals, Jesus programmed the human heart to hate that. And I imagine Jesus, like in slow motion, looking at him thinking, I programmed the human heart to be disgusted by this. I wrote the code for you to hate torture and murder and corruption. I wrote the code that when you see it, you'd be sick to your stomach. Because I taught human beings what's good and evil, and to hate injustice, and to protect their families. I even wrote the code for running away from death, the fight-or-flight instinct. And I'm here having to look you in the eye and tell you, we are going to ignore that programming. I'm here as the author, as the programmer, telling you to trust me. I'm overriding my own programming right now. But I'm also in the system. I'm also a human being, and I'm feeling everything you're feeling. Everything I've programmed human beings to feel in the face of torture and evil and death. And I'm feeling it too. But I'm telling you, I have to override this programming that is telling us, no, you can't die this way. Because it is is the only way to save the world. And I wouldn't be doing this unless it was the only way. It's going to look like I'm letting the virus win. It's going to look like I'm letting sin and death and the devil win. And letting the bug take over and destroy the system. But it's actually the only way I can wipe the system. It's the only way I can kill the bug. And it's infected the entire system. And if there was any other way, I wouldn't do it. Because Peter is saying, Lord, no, there has to be another way. There has to be another way to save the world. And if there was, God the Father would not have allowed this to happen to his son. And Jesus would not have signed up for that mission. He did it because there was no other way. The system had to be wiped by the pure blood of the lamb. And that is why it is so grievous to the Lord when we suggest there could be other paths to salvation. It would be sick if God allowed his son to be tortured to death if there was any other way. God would never have allowed that. But Jesus loves you so much that he was willing to die to save you because he knew there was no other way. Okay, so we've established Peter is having a totally normal human reaction to the bombshell that Jesus just dropped on him. So why does Jesus respond the way that he does? For a long time I did not fully understand why Jesus says to Peter, get behind me. But then I became a mom and I had to walk around the supermarket with three children. Inevitably, one is always running ahead right out in front of the shopping cart. One always wants to be under my feet. The other one wants to be directly on my right or my left, hanging onto the cart. I don't know if any of you had an experience like this. One day, I literally couldn't drive the cart. There was one who was directly in front of me who'd come to a screeching halt to look at pictures of cartoon characters emblazoned all over packaging. The other one were running around here, going to get run over by another cart. And so it was total chaos. And in my exasperation, I heard myself sternly command my children, get behind me. (laughs) And in that moment, it all made sense. (laughs) The only safe place for them to be was behind me. And I could set the pace and I could go where I needed to go. They want to run ahead. They want to be the line leaders. (sighs) Jesus is not saying to Peter, depart from me, Satan. I don't want anything to do with you. He's saying, I'm the line leader. Get behind me. You've got to follow me. And I'll get us out of this Publix as fast as I can if you guys just line up behind me. (laughs) But why does Jesus call him Satan? Jesus just told him how great he was in the last passage. I don't think we understand the way temptation works. Most of the time, we are not tempted by something really purely bad. Most of the time, we are tempted by a lesser good. We know that Jesus did not want to die. In his divine will, Jesus knew that he had to die to save the world. But Jesus, in his human will, he did not want to die. He was the perfect human. He was healthy and whole. He had our natural survival instincts. He loved life. He was repulsed by pain and death. And Jesus explicitly asked God the Father in the garden, please let this cup pass from me. I don't want to die. But not my will, but yours be done. And he accepted his mission, but he did not want to die. So Peter's words were a real temptation to Jesus. When Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, you are a stumbling block to me, what else would it mean that Peter is? A, what else would it mean that Peter is a stumbling block? This is the biblical language of temptation. He is saying, "You don't realize it, but what you're saying to me right now, it's like the voice of Satan. It's such a temptation to me because I don't want to die. I want to listen to you." And in this moment, Peter learns that he is going to have to emulate his master in death. And one thing we can say about Peter. When his time comes, he does not shrink back. In this moment, Jesus is preparing Peter, not just for his death, but for Peter's own death. When Peter himself will be tortured and murdered in Rome, crucified upside down. Jesus sees what is coming for Peter, and in his mercy, he gives them this sober warning. Because if he shrinks back, if he chooses safety, if he chooses to be okay with the world and accepted by the world, Instead of remaining faithful to Jesus, Peter will lose his soul. Peter will hate himself. And then Jesus promises him the most counterintuitive thing you can tell a person like Peter. If you lay down your life, you will find true life. If you are willing to die for me, you will find real life and your life will have meant something. And the question for all of us today is, how will we respond to a crucified Lord. We know that a student is not above his master. But what does it mean for us to take up our cross and follow Jesus today? We're probably not going to be like Peter. I hope, I pray that we're not going to all be like Peter. Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. When Jesus says, deny yourself, he's not saying I want you to be miserable. He's not saying, I want you to squash all your wants and needs to please everybody around you. Deny yourself doesn't mean be a doormat to other people. Jesus is saying, follow me. Focus on me. Don't focus on yourself. Don't focus on the world. Don't focus on other people. Focus on me. And that's one of the things that's actually happening in this story. Jesus is having to clamp down that part of himself that wants to please Peter, that doesn't want to disappoint Peter. Even that good instinct we have to deny sometimes. Some of us are more oriented towards self-preservation. Some of us are more oriented towards living for others. And some of us are more oriented towards success and respect. And none of these things are bad. But Jesus had to deny all of those good impulses in order to walk to the cross. He had to say no to his self-preservation instinct. He had to say no to what Peter wanted for his life, what his mother wanted for his life, and he had to break their hearts. And he had to say no to the human desire for success, for respect, when he was spit upon, when he was humiliated and died as a criminal. We may not die in the manner of Jesus or Peter, but we all have to deny those things. All of those things that could become a roadblock to us being faithful to Jesus. There will be big ways and little ways when we have, that we have to de- deny our self-preservation, our need for the approval of others, and our desire for success in order to follow Jesus. We have to lay down any of those things when they become barriers, when they become stumbling blocks, to following in Jesus' footsteps, in the steps of our rabbi. And we have to take up our cross and set our face like flint and follow Jesus in his steps. Jesus is the line leader, and we are disciples, and we must follow our leader. Amen.